Okay, we're in lesson 11. We're getting towards the end of our, of our study. We've only got three more weeks after this, so we're going to talk about the slavery of freedom today. You know, Paul's been talking a lot throughout this epistle about doing certain things, the, the wrong idea of doing certain things for acceptance with God, because really what you do has nothing to do with your acceptance with God. It has all to do with Jesus. And when you fall into the trap of doing stuff yourself or acceptance, you really have no need for Jesus then. It's all based upon what you do. And the reality is, is you're in bondage. You can't do enough for salvation. You can't do enough for your salvation. So he's going to move on now. After having hammered it home to them over the last four chapters about why they need to quit paying attention to those Judaizers who are deceiving them, He's going to hammer it home now that, yes, you have freedom in Christ, but there's limits on that freedom. So you understand what I'm saying? You can fall into a trap that, look at what the trap is. You can fall into a trap of, okay, my acceptance with God has nothing to do with me. Therefore, it has everything to do with Jesus. Okay, that's great. I can now do anything I want to do because Jesus is still going to accept me and love me and forgive me. Now, that's a trap. Here's what Paul's going to do now. He's going to launch into chapter 5, verses 13 through 21, and talk about what the Christian life really is then. Because you've been saved, because you've been justified by Christ, the reality is is that, yes, you have freedom, but there's some limitations on your freedom. So we're going to talk about it today. So let's look, first of all, the limits of freedom, verses 13 through 18 and hopefully deal with some things that we need to uh, deal with here with regards to this issue. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the lust of the flesh, for the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Okay, so let's talk about what he's, he's really getting to here. First thing he's going to do is this. Paul states that we have been called or saved to a life of freedom. So the reality is, okay, the first thing is, is okay, guys, you've been called or saved to a life of freedom. Does everybody understand that? You've been called or saved to a life of freedom. You don't have to get in bondage to religious exercise or ritual to have your acceptance with God. So everybody grasps that reality. Alright? You have freedom in Jesus. You're free. Now, there is a limit though. There is a limit. Here's the limit. Our freedom is not to be used to satisfy our bodies. I mean, you have freedom. But your freedom isn't for the purpose of you doing your own thing and, and, and satisfying whatever craving you have. 
So, I'll give you an example of what I'm talking about. Here, here's, a, here's a tough one, okay? The issue of alcohol. The Bible only condemns one thing with reference to the issue of alcohol. Does anybody know what that is? Drunkenness. Overindulgence, drunkenness. Does the Bible condemn you drinking? No. So, okay, for years, though, in our churches, we've, we've said, what? No drink, period. In fact, there was a movement in our country during the early part of the 20th century, which was the Prohibition Movement. In fact, they even were able to bring about, there's a lesson here for some of you who want to make constitutional amendments, who, who brought about a constitutional amendment forbidding, what? The sale of alcohol. The sale and consumption of alcohol. That was brought about by the churches. Did you know that? That was brought about by the churches. Are you aware of that? I noticed that as everybody, you notice we still have beer distributors in town. So what happened to that constitutional amendment? It was repealed by another constitutional amendment. See, this is what I'm trying to say to you. Don't look to the Constitution to satisfy the problems in the society. So, okay, so it, it, so the church historically has always been against it, but the Bible doesn't really say that. So, okay, so what does it say? You have liberty to drink. Is that it? Wow, okay, let's go. Let's head on down. I don't even know if they're open this time of morning or not. But let's go. No, we can't do that, though, because there are limitations. See, while you have freedom... Your freedom is not for you to indulge your own bodies. Do you see what I'm saying? Because the reality is, I give up my freedom, this is the next point we're going to see here, is I give up my freedom for the benefit of others. So like for instance, George has liberty. I could, I could go, we could, I could go, not tie one on because that's drunken. But I could drink. Here's the thing though, why don't I do that? I don't drink for the sake of others. I don't drink for the sake of the people in our church who have struggled with alcoholism. What kind of a testimony is that to them? I'm concerned for them that they don't go back on the wagon, you know, fall off the wagon. I'm concerned for those who, who live with alcoholics. I've lived with an alcoholic. I know what that's like. And I have freedom. I can do it. Do you understand what I'm saying? The only thing I'm forbidden from doing is getting drunk. Which there's a fine line there. We just don't know where the line is. You understand? Because it may be two for you and six for somebody else, but it may only be half of one for somebody. You know what I'm saying? But see, you've got freedom, but for the sake of freedom, I've got limits on my freedom, and my limits are what? Others. In fact, that's the next point he makes here, and the very same thing he says. Our freedom is to be lovingly used for the service of what? Of others. For others. Okay, let's, let's stop for a moment. This is the difference between freedom and I can do anything for the sake of me, which is selfishness, 
and freedom that I've been given by Christ for the sake of others. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's the difference of freedom for myself or freedom for the sake of others. I have the ability to do whatever. But out of love, I may choose not to do it for the sake of somebody else. Now, that's really tough because we're told to do whatever you want, baby, for you. Isn't that true? And who cares? They're just legalists. See, this is what Paul's trying to get to here. You've got freedom. I used a really heavy one, alcohol. But let's be honest, alcohol is a big issue, isn't it? Hey, can I, can I, let's not deceive ourselves. The um, statistics for alcohol use in the church are the same as the statistics for alcohol use in the world. We're just deceiving ourselves by saying we're the teetotalers here. You understand what I'm saying? The issue is you've got to watch what you're doing because of the effect it may have on others. Okay? So, here's the thing. Our, the purpose for our freedom is so that I use my freedom that I have in Jesus for service for others. It's all about others. And why do I do that? Because it's a fulfillment of a command. The law is fulfilled in one command. Love your neighbor. In fact, look what Paul says. Look with me in verse 14. For all the law, let me just stop for a moment. Somebody explain that phrase to me, all the law. What is he talking about here? All the law. How much of the law is that? All, the entire law. I had had a professor in school that said, all means all, and that's all, all means. It's the entire law. In fact, let's stop for a moment. Remember, they were being told to do certain things in order to fulfill the law. Be circumcised, keep the new moons, do all this legalistic stuff in order to keep the law. Paul comes along and says, look, if you want to fulfill the whole law, you fulfill the whole law in one word. What's that one word? Love. One commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. So look what he says there. Verse 14. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's the whole law right there. Now, he then moves on to verse 15, and he's going to give a qualifier here. We'll spend some time here. Look at verse 15. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. Ooh, what's he saying here? Here's the warning. Selfish conflict will destroy the entire group. How many of you have been involved or have witnessed a church fight? I have. I was the guy at the podium. Give me your observations about church fight. What what are some characteristics that you see in church fights, folks who have gone through it? Okay, anger is what Joy says. Power struggles. Ego, selfishness. Backbiting. Anybody else? What happens in a a church fight? How about slander? 
Ooh, that's a big one, isn't it? What else? Okay, let me just stop for a moment. Think about what everybody just said here. Boy, that's pretty heavy, isn't it? Think about that list of stuff. Was there anything godly in that list? Anything worthy of praise? No. In fact, all of them are reflective of what? Self. Flesh. Sin. Now here's what Paul's saying. Okay. If I'm going to fulfill the law, the way to fulfill the law is for me to love one another. But, here's the warning, and obviously something must have been going on in the Galatians church to, for him to make this point. He said, look, if you consume and devour each other, you yourself will be devoured. You know, there's a principle there. Have you ever, have you ever met a fighter? You ever met a fighter? You know what I mean by a fighter? A fighter is somebody who's always getting involved in a scrap. If it's not a fight going on, he'll start one. You ever met a fighter? How many of you have met a fighter? We've all met a fighter. Okay. Here's what I want you to see. What usually happens to a fighter? Anybody? In the end, what usually happens to a fighter? What's that? Well, they get beat. That, that's a generic way of saying it. Anybody else? They usually get consumed by fighting in general. I mean, usually they start fights to, to bring about their point, but after a while, the fight devours them. They get beaten down. And you think about it. I, I, you know, I can think back in church. We're talking about church especially. In church... I can think about people who were always raising issues and fighting over it and angry and, and vilifying people and slandering people and everything, and then eventually it all comes around, doesn't it? Stuff comes around, doesn't it? And they eventually get devoured themselves. People turn on them. And then if you notice how they act when that happens, I've noticed it. Here's what happens. Why is this happening to me? when the problem was is they were doing it to others. As long as they were doing it to others in the name of Jesus, it was okay. See, now here's the problem. Paul's saying, look, the fulfill... And let me just stop for a moment. Is this what Paul's saying? All of the law is fulfilled in fighting. Is that what it says? All of the law is fulfilled in loving each other. So he puts that warning in there. Look, guys... Selfish conflict will what? Will destroy the entire group. And isn't that true? Hey, let me tell you something, folks. It takes an awful long time for a church to get over it. Selfish, look, it's true. It's true. The best thing to do is, okay, do you understand why God then gives in those words a structure for disciplining things in the church? If you, and here's the thing. Somebody who wants to start a ruckus, the power for that person comes from where? Well, not just Satan. That's true. Satan is the one who stirs them up. But the power from it comes from others who follow them. 
Because they stir up dissension. And they divide and conquer. And so you can have a loving church fellowship where everybody loves each other and everybody's happy with the way things are. And then you get one person who gets ticked off. Maybe he gets upset with the pastor. Maybe he gets upset with the elders or, or the trustees. Maybe he gets upset with the decision at the church. And then all of a sudden, and it doesn't, if you notice, they don't stand up and say, I'm sick of it. They don't do that yet. They work the network. It's the phone calls. It's the letters. It's, it's, it's all of it to communicate secret meetings to express their concern. And the reality is, is, let's be honest, we've got a lot of people here. Are you going to be happy with everybody here? No. You know, hey, can I, all right, here's what I want you to do. Here's what we're going to do an exercise here. I want everybody to stand up. Don't please me. I, I already told you you're going to get irritated with somebody, so be irritated. Here's what I want you to do. I want everybody here to find two people and say, I'm going to tick you off at some point in this church. Go ahead. That's reality. Go ahead. That's a, uh, <laughs> okay. 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 All right. Okay. Okay. Okay, let's get under control now, Gap. Okay. All right. That was a silly exercise, was it not? However, it's not a silly exercise. It's the truth. You are going to be ticked off by individuals in our church. I'm, look, I'm going to tick you off at some point. You may like me right now, but next month you won't like me. And I have pastored enough now to know that one minute I'm loved, the next minute I'm hate, then I'm loved again. I'm just reality. That's just church. Yes, it's human nature. I mean, think about your okay, think about your families. You have siblings. And you love your sibling, then they do something dumb, and then you're irritated with them, and you depending on how long you hold the grudge, then you're back together with them again. And and that's reality. That's that's Humanity, that's human relationships. Now listen, here's what Paul's saying. You have freedom, but your freedom is limited by a concern for others, and the fulfillment of that is the law which says love one another. But if you're going to be selfish, you're going to consume yourself, you're going to destroy it. So here's what I'm saying. We laugh right now, but I can tell you something. This room right here, this very room right here, has witnessed anger. and frustration by people who've sat in those pews. And the result was almost the death of a church. Everybody understand me? This is what Paul's saying. You've got freedom, but I, I control my freedom for the sake of others because I love others more. You understand? So, Selfish conduct will destroy the church. So here's the exhortation. Paul calls them to live their lives guided by the Spirit. See, the issue isn't being guided by what you think is right. It's not being guided by what you want to happen. The issue is, is you being guided by what? 
Spirit of God. Because here's the thing about the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is all going to be seeking unity within the body. Because that's biblical. He's going to be seeking unity and love within the body. Bottom line, period. And say, okay, let me just stop. Some people say, well, does that mean we just kind of brush the, brush the, the issues aside and never address them and kind of drift off into doing wrong and everything? No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying there's a better way to handle it, though. I'm saying you work with it. And, you know, you submit to leadership and allow leadership to guide the church. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's what the Bible says, doesn't it? And allow leadership to guard the purity of the church. And move forward in love. Yes, Lord. You've got to work through it. I mean, how many of you, your problems are settled overnight? How many of that, have you noticed, how many of you have got problems? i got problems. Have you noticed they don't go away overnight? Whew, got that problem over with, wonder what it is today. No, it, it, they pile on, don't they? One problem on top of another, and some last for a while, and if you're working on them, have you noticed that they don't work out easily? So you've got to be patient with each other. You've got to be patient. And you've got to... Here, here's the thing. I heard, I heard a pastor, uh, pastor's a large church, sometimes he's in the news, uh, out in Seattle, Washington, called Mars Hill Church. Now this church is reaching the 20 to 40 year olds. Mark Driscoll is his name. And sometimes he says controversial things, but they come to his church, they hear the gospel, they get saved. He is very conservative. And here's what he said. I thought this was really good. He said, you know, there are left-hand issues and right-hand issues. You've got to determine which are which. The right-hand issues you hold on to and you never let go of. They're the deity of Jesus Christ. They're salvation by faith alone. Those are the right-hand issues. The left-hand issues, you kind of hold on to them loosely. They're like, what music style you prefer? What, um, how you think people should dress. Here's a left-hand issue for Lori and I that we hold on loosely. We don't watch TV. Okay? But that's a left-hand issue. We haven't made that a right-hand issue. Because if I made it a right-hand issue, you guys wouldn't be here because I'd be telling you, don't watch TV. Aren't you glad I don't do that? But I do know preachers who would. And you know preachers who would, Right? They made their left-hand issue a right-hand issue, and they told you what you thought you should, how you should live your life. The issue is you hold on to the right, you hold loosely to the left. But a lot of fights, have you noticed what a lot of fights in a church are over? What? Left-hand issues. You ever notice that when churches fight, they never fight the deity of Jesus? Or his virgin birth? Not in our circle of churches. We fight about the carpet. Friends, I watched a church blow apart over a basement. Loosely in this hand, right? Clinch him in this hand. I heard Chuck Swindoll say this. When he entered into ministry, there were many things that he would die for. But he says now, as he gets older, there are only a few things that he would ever die for. 
And he said, those few things I'm more convinced than ever that I would die for. But a lot of the stuff in the early years that I thought I would die for, he said, they're meaningless now. Aren't they? See, here's the thing. The issue is, is okay, if I'm going to hold on to these and hold on to this, I've got to be guided by something. What am I going to be guided by? Spirit. Spirit of God. Okay, let's go on. This will result in not living according to the desires of our body. If you're led by the Spirit, you are not going to be living in accordance with the desires of your body. It's whether or not I do what my body wants to do or I do what the Spirit tells me to do. Period. And here's the reality. If we live by the Spirit, we're not going to be giving in to the desires of our flesh. Now, if I'm going to live by the Spirit, there's something I've got to be intaking for the Spirit to use in my life. What is that, folks? The Word of God. Let's go on. So he's going to talk about the battle within, and I just kind of, re- re- kind of talked about it a little bit. It's, a, it's the next one there. Paul stresses that there is an internal battle being waged between the body and the spirit. Look, there is a war going on within you. In fact, I've used this phrase before. You know, when you and I sin, we open ourselves up to a new reality. There is some truth there. Because let's say this. I'm a guy of extremes, first of all. Lori will tell you that. We get in the vehicle. Uh, are you warm? Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll turn up the air. I freeze this out. Are you cold? I'll turn on the heat. It's a sauna. There's no happy medium with me. It's one way or the other. That's just the kind of guy I am, all right? So, let's say a new restaurant opens in town and they have a new dish that I have never eaten before. It's not even a burger. It's something even more wonderful than a burger. I can't imagine what that would be. So, I don't even know what the reality of that dish is. So, one of you guys invites me to go out to lunch. And we go there and you say, man, you have got to try this dish. It's not a burger. Life's more than a burger, George. Okay, I'll eat it. And I enjoy it. I've opened myself up to a new reality of what that dish is. Now, here's the problem. Because I've opened up myself to the new reality, here's what I've opened up. I've opened up my body to the new reality. So now, every time we go to lunch, we're going to that restaurant so I can have what? That dish. Who's in control, folks? My body. But the Spirit comes along and says, whoa, 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 yeah, you got freedom. You can eat that as much as you want. Your acceptance with Jesus is not based upon how much you eat that. But, you got to think about others. Do you see the reality of what I'm talking about? It could be anything. If you've never taken drugs before, don't, because you'll open yourself up to a new reality. If you've not involved yourself in 
premarital sex? Don't. You open yourself up to a new reality. If you've never involved yourself in adultery outside of marriage, don't. You open yourself to a new reality. And guess what takes over when you open yourself to a new reality, folks? Your body. See, when we open ourselves up to new realities, the war gets more intense, doesn't it? And that's reality here. Let's, let's go on. Life in the Spirit. Here's what he's saying. This results in not doing the things that we want to do. If we're led by the Spirit, it's going to result in us not doing the things that we want to do. Hey, and believe me, there is somebody who wants you to do what you want to do. There is a cheerleader in the corner who wants you to do whatever you want to do. Guess who he is? Satan. He's in the rah-rah section. Go for it, baby. Get all you can get. Live for gusto. All right, so here we go. The one who lives according to the Spirit is not bound to the law. See, if you're living according to the Spirit, you don't need to worry about the law. Because your life is going to be fulfilling the law. All right, let's look at the works of the flesh. Verse 19 through 21. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousy, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambition, dissension, heresies, Envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in times past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Okay, first of all, they're evident. Paul states that living according to the flesh is evident to all. Hey, first of all, if you're living according to the flesh, everybody's going to know you're living according to the flesh. It's going to be obvious in your life. Does everybody understand me? It's going to be obvious. It's not, it's not something that's, well, is he really spirit-led or, or does he just kind of go with the flow? I really can't tell. No, you're going to tell. You understand? Because it dominates them. It's going to be coming out of their life. Period. All right? Now, here's the thing. Here's the, he's going to lift these details. He's going to lift these works of the flesh in detail. So let's kind of go through them real quickly. First of all, the flesh is manifested in sexual immorality, moral impurity, and open indulgence. Quite a bit there, isn't it? You take that list, they're, they're, I've broken them down into four main issues of areas of sin. The first one is sexual sin, and the flesh is manifested in sexual immorality. Let me just stop for a moment. The word there is pornea from which we get porn pornography. Pornea is not just with reference to adultery. It is all sexual sin, period. Whether it is self-gratification or gratification with someone of another sex or someone of the same sex. Whether it is viewing material that is wrong. All of it is wrong. It's all manifestation of sexual sin in your life. It is a work of the flesh. Does everybody understand that? So the flesh is manifested in sexual immorality, moral impurity, 
and open indulgence. And that's, that last one, can I be honest with you, that's where our society is now, isn't it? Open indulgence. Let me just stop for a moment. I don't watch TV. You need to be aware of what you watch on TV, but I do know this about TV. It is very, very, I just saw this. There, you know, there's several different public discussion groups that are out there that are not Christian, and one was referring to the fact that most TV shows make it very commonplace for a person to have an affair. And that's acceptable. And you're watching that. Yeah, you are. You just have grown desensitized to it. And so it's acceptable for you to enter that in. Oh, yeah, that just happens. It's okay. No, it isn't. God doesn't like it. Okay? Let's go on. Here's some religious sins. We're going to talk about sexual sins. Here's some religious ones. The flesh is manifested in false worship and the manipulation of evil. The flesh is manifested in false worship and the manipulation of evil. Here's some relational sins. The flesh is manifested in our hate, dissension, and open rage. It's manifested in our hate, in our dissension, and open rage. Here's the other one. The flesh is manifested in selfish ambition, jealousy, and discontentment. Now, let me just stop for a moment. You might say, well, you know, I'm not worried about that... Uh, I'm not worried about that stuff that's happening in that first one, that sexual stuff. I'm okay there. And, and that, 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 that false worship and manipulation of evil, I'm not a sorcerer or a warlock. I'm not really worried about that one either. And that, I don't have an anger problem, and I'm not raging. I'm okay there. Well, let's just stop for a moment. And maybe you don't have a problem with ambition, and maybe you're not jealous, but let's ask yourself a question. Are you discontent? And all it takes is for us to just get in our cars and go over to Walmart and realize the reality of that. Okay? Let's go on then. Here's the other one. Addictive sins. The flesh is manifested in the addiction to alcohol. Here's another one. The flesh is manifested in the addiction to sex. Now, let me just stop for a moment. I want you to look in your Bibles. And you might be here, and there might be somebody here that's read through that entire list and says, I'm okay. Nothing here I fit into. I want you to look with me at verse 21. There's a little phrase there. There's three words. It says this. He goes through this whole list. And then he says this, and the like. It's like he could go on forever and ever continuing to list them, but he's trying to say, guys, all sins are a manifestation of what? The flesh. And the like. So nobody here is perfect. We're all real, right? Okay, here's the thing. So here's the principle. Paul makes that point. It should be makes the point that those who manifest these behaviors are not saved. 
here, I need, I need to stop and just reiterate this to you. Profession does not mean possession. Simply because somebody says they love Jesus and they prayed a prayer with Grandma does not mean they're saved. What does their life evidence? And so, okay, as a five-year-old, they prayed a prayer with Grandma, but ever since then, they've been living like hell. And here they are at 50, and they've they've got a couple of girlfriends on the side, plus a wife, cheats on his boss, and his name's Bubba. Tell me what Bubba's condition is. Is he going to heaven? No. Why? Verse 21, last part of it. Here's what he says. And as I've told you in times past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That is reality. So, Paul makes the point that those who manifest these behaviors are not saved. All right. Next week, we're going to look at what life in the Spirit is. We're going to look at that in Galatians 5, verses 22 through 26. So let's close our time in prayer and get ready for the morning worship service.